Good Friday to you. I'm Travis Wright, and you're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. In the studio still with us is NPR's Michelle Martin. Again, Michelle, hello and thank you. And joining us now is poet Jessica Care Moore. Hi, good morning, Travis. Jessica, it's a pleasure to see you again. Two days in a row. Yeah. yeah I'm a lucky man. Oh, come on. You, you hit the lottery. Me and Michelle at the same time. What? <laughs> so we were just talking, Michelle and I, we were talking about uh, how artists sometimes have to uh, be in Detroit to you know, kind of work on their craft, decide where they're going as an artist, explore that trajectory. But then at some point, uh, sometimes you have to leave the city to go grow as an artist. And you were kind of hidden on that last night. You yeah. went to uh, New York and spent some years in Brooklyn. Yeah. When did you know that you that you had to leave Detroit? That that in order to grow as an artist, um, Detroit was was kind of tapped out for you yeah I mean I was only 22 <laughs> you know I thought I was grown but I was a little baby sure. and um and I'd performed everywhere here I was doing hair shows I was performing at we didn't have like, a lot of cafes and we didn't have all these trendy places where you can read poetry so I was reading at bars at floods at the Fox Theater when you know or at the State Theater when Tree would do his hair shows I was doing poems wherever there was a microphone and so at some point it just became there was no other place for me to go. And um, I went to Brooklyn. People had always told me I had that spirit, like, Jessica, you need to be in Brooklyn. You're, you need to get out of Detroit. And so it was, it was important for me to go to grow. And I had to go be around writers that were better than me. So mm. I went to Brooklyn, and I ran into Asha Bandeli and Willie Perdomo and Suhir Ahmad and um, uh, Kevin Powell and, and Tony Medina and people who became my friends. And I had the New Eurekan Poetry Book allow, and yeah. I went and found every writer in that book. Reggie Gaines, I started with him, and just went down the list and inserted myself into the New York scene. And I didn't know why, you know, later you find out your purpose. You know, I went there just to be a poet and to learn. And then later I ended up being the poet that was going to publish the poets. And right. so that became one of the things I, you know, I was supposed to do in New York City. Which has so, spun off to so many different ventures yes. since, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, being the institution builder, I think, has um, made me different than other artists, you know, because some artists are just, they want to be artists. And being from Detroit, that's what made me different. I came there very, like, you know, being the poet is cool, but what is your job? And, you know, and like, you know, you write poems. That's nice, but what do you do? Mm. And so I had to. I had enough of that in me, in my family. Looking I still at get me. that from my mother, by yeah. the way. Yeah, <laughs> you talk on the radio. What, what's your job? What's your job? <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it's a beautiful job to have to love what I do. And But New York is just, you need bigger stages. And because I left for 12 years, I was in Brooklyn and Harlem, and then I went to Atlanta and worked with the National Black Arts Festival there as a producer and as a poet. And that took me other places. That took me to South Africa a couple times, you know, through Fulton County Arts. And so every place I've gone, I've used those resources to, to get to a better place. And so I brought all of that back to Detroit. So I carry all those experiences is what the reason why Black Women Rock and other things that I do here are successful because I can bring those people. All right, well, we're we're going to talk about Black Women Rock in just okay. one second, as well as your uh, returning to New York for a very special engagement coming up in just a little bit. But first, I thought that we could give the audience a little taste of what it is that you do, which is poetry so well. So uh, I know it's early, but there's no <laughs> there's no better time for a little bit of poetry than in the morning. Okay. Oh, my goodness. So I'm just going to read like an excerpt of a very long poem and um, because we don't have time so just like give me the it's too long look okay if you've never slid down the giant slide on a potato sack then you may not know my Detroit 
If you've never eaten a coney at 3 a.m., you may not understand why it doesn't matter how many games we win or lose, we wear our D hats and tats year-round. Our streets were built on the rhythm of a hand clap sound. I'm a Detroit lion on Linwood, a rebellious tiger on Tyreman, a Stanley Cup carrying Red Wing on Rutherford, a Detroit piston constantly putting up new nets around forgotten white backboards and orange squares. Rebellious cities never had it easy. Innovative freeways aren't always paved and gold. But that thin strip of M8 we call the Davison is a conduit to every future highway in our nation. And so is the assembly line steel and wheel of our cars. Detroiters have always kept this country moving. Revolutionary people don't always get good press, but it is in our DNA. It is in our bloodline gift to survive. When the surface of your skin has potholes blasting temptations records through your pores, when your fingertips are blessed by international water, you're now under the world's media microscope, constantly checking your arms for track marks and close-ups of how you look once the high is gone. Is that cool? Okay. It's 10 minutes long. <laughs> Thank you. As poet Jessica Care Moore right here on 1019 WDET. I'm Travis Wright. Michelle Martin, NPR's Michelle Martin, is also in the studio right now. And, uh, you know, so we talked about why you went away, and then you came back. And when you did come back to Detroit, shortly thereafter, you started establishing Black Women Rock, yeah. which has grown immensely. And you found some yeah. partnerships and connections with the Charles H. Wright African American Museum. Yeah. And uh, and you've also taken it on the road. So yes. let's, let's talk about what catalyzed the whole project in the first yeah. place. I know that you care deeply about the roots of rock and roll right. and educating the world on exactly yeah. where it started and yeah. who started it. Well, you know, I, was, I produced that concert the first time in Atlanta, Georgia in 2004, the National Black Arts Festival, when I saw at that festival, that was a beautiful festival that didn't bring enough progressive, to me, black women voices to the festival. So mm. it was just a little too conservative. And I'd been on the rock scene and, you know, hung out with Vernon Reed and cool people like Greg Tate and I uh, met Angelo Moore from Fishbone. And so these are people that I interacted with as a poet in New York City. And so in New York, what's beautiful is that the arts kind of collide. So there's no separation from MC and rock artists. And artists who were interesting wanted to know each other. We wanted to work together and so I came back to Detroit and that none of that was happening all the artists that we brought to the city were all radio artists for it's, years there's been a, a segregation in the music scenes here in the city it's hard sometimes it's to get hip-hop acts to play a bill with a rock act it is yeah. and, it, and that's unfortunate you know and it's and it's still too segregated to be honest yeah. and can I, ask, can I ask why why is that well it's a segregated city you know what I mean it just but Detroit has kind of been that way and then unfortunately people think about rock and roll they think about a white boy with a long blonde ponytail and they forget about you know Grace Jones and Tina Turner and Betty Davis and Nona Hendricks and all these trailblazers. Let's go. Right. Yo, Jade, I want Jada to come on. And so so Black Women Rock was just something, you know, it's about filling voids in Detroit, right? And so there was no concert promoter that mm. was bringing these amazing goddess warrior women. And these were really special women like Joy, who, you know, who predated the idea of what was Neo Soul, right? So these are innovative women who helped create genres and worked all over the world and they still don't get radio play. You know, and they work with major your artists they've done mainstream stuff whatever mainstream is right Imani Azuri you know who sings like you know nobody else in the world you know like Minnie Riperton like notes yeah. but doesn't have a record deal but it's been all over the world and people may not know who she is they do now and I brought Kimberly Nicole who's just been winning like crazy all over the voice and people in Detroit are like we know her from Black Women Rock and so you know so it's, it's beautiful because the Charles H. Wright, I had never seen that many white folks in the museum, to be quite honest. The first year I did it, I did that tribute to Betty Davis, and people, uh, Betty Davis has white fans too, and, and cult 
you know, following. And so I was like, yeah, white people, you can come to the Museum of African-American History. It's not just for us, right. you know, and so. And like Black Women Rock is not just for women, of too, right? Now, like, men ask me, can they come? Yeah. And I'm like, are you great? Do you know who I am? You know what I mean? <laughs> Of course you can come. You know, sit in the front, please. Um, right, well, and so, and it's about educating people about the idea of what rock and roll looks like. So, yeah. When, when you blew up, when Jessica Care Moore started to become a name around the world through poetry, it yeah. came out of a place called the Apollo, which is where a lot of names come out of, right, in Harlem. Yeah. And uh, you went on quite a tear. You, you came to amateur night, yeah. and then uh, the audience would decide that they didn't want you to leave for, yeah. like, several weeks. It was crazy, you know, because I really went there just to, like, enjoy the time there. You know, I was excited just to be. I was working as a journalist for the Daily Challenge, so I was doing what I thought I knew how to do, which is be a journalist and write, you know, news. And so they, I went to the audition. I got on, and I didn't expect to win. I didn't think they would boo me, but after the first time I won, I was like, I cried. And mm. Steve Harvey and Kiki Shepard, and these are all people I've seen uh, since then, um, were so excited. Ray Chu and the crew, like everyone was like, she's winning. And they were good people um, performing against me. There was like the, this group that was singing the Temptations. I was like. Rooting for the Temptations guys to win. I was like, oh my God, they're amazing. They're singing the Temptations. But you still rubbed the stump, right? I rubbed the stump five weeks in a row, you know, and, <laughs> and um, it was amazing. So I won, and, you know. Did you t- run out of outfits? I did. <laughs> yeah. I ran out of outfits. It's so hilarious. Oh, yeah, because you know, right? So, right. Like, Wait a minute. I didn't plan for this. I need to get some new outfits. <laughs> and I had, so the third win, you see what I have on? You know, I ran out of outfits. It's some <laughs> ugly jeans, I mean, a t shirt, just because I had nothing else to wear. So I won five weeks, and then I was going out for my sixth. Um, my parents and they said no we're going to retire you and so funny because Steve Harvey had to explain it to the audience because they were like where is she like be quiet we know she didn't lose but we're going to let her go home respectfully I think they really respected that a poet was winning and they wanted me to go out correctly so now I'm the youngest living Apollo legend so no one else in history has ever won five weeks doing anything like singing dancing whatever. so poetry did that right yeah yeah and, and, and just, so you're going to be going back. I'm going back. You're going to be my celebrating 20th anniversary, 20th anniversary. And I'm still 22. It's amazing. <laughs> that it's crazy <laughs> how poetry will keep you young oh like that, right? Oh, my God. I'm performing for Amateur Night. So I'm making an appearance on June 10th for my 20th anniversary. And then Black Women Rock is that Saturday night. So it's a great coming home to Harlem for and, me. And it's not just a, a Black Women Rock event. Yeah. It's a bus tour that's coming from Detroit yes. going out to New York. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, why, yes. did you wanna, why did you want to do it that way? Because I wanted people to come to the show and Detroit has embraced this show in such a way that I know people want to come see us do the Apollo Theater. And Detroit has a different energy. Like, we're so prideful. And Harlem's going to get us. Um, Those women that are even performing at the Apollo Theater, they've done New York, you know. And so I want them to see that, that, you know, how what Detroit feels like when we're in an audience. So I want that rowdy Detroit section to be in at the 125th Street audience. And so we're chartering a bus. It's very inexpensive. You can go online and find it at the Apollo, Apollo ApolloWild.com. I think is the um, is the address or Apollo Wild Theater or something, and um, it's like yeah, it's a couple hundred bucks. Is you get you we ride you there, you have like good seats for the show, free pass to the Women of the World Festival on Sunday, and you come back for work, get home at six a.m. on Monday. So we know people got so you jobs. You can get to work. You can get to work. We leave Friday night. We come up. back early on Monday morning. So people got to get back to their jobs. So we, and we made it affordable. We made it so we don't make money with the bus. We just want people to get on it, and we want to bring Detroit. You know, because I, I represent my city everywhere I go, and that's why I say it's okay if you leave. And I told the, the sister Shar that was the last one. I said, if you feel yeah, like Shar you Glover go, from Project Ro- baby, Runaway was there. if you feel like yeah. you go to L.A., then you go to right. L.A. Right. And then you come back to Detroit and you give back to your city. You think there's a stigma, though, sometimes for, for people who leave? Oh, it's kind people of like this, like, to leave. congratulations, and then uh, as soon as they turn around, it's like, oh, you know, I don't know. 
I was gone 12 years, but I never left. See, I've always right. performed in Detroit. Like when I was in New York, I came back for African World Festival all the time. The Charles H. Wright never stopped bringing me. I never stopped coming back home. When you came back, yeah. had, had the poetry scene in Detroit grown? Or, and, uh, or did you find it to be as frustrate, frustratingly kind of uh, hidden as it was it when was, you, you know, left? Kathy Mahogany was doing it. You know, yeah. they had Pour Me Cafe, the place where I started, is, uh, is, is a half past. It, it turned into different things. It's a club now, so it's not a poetry place anymore. They got a bar, and it's more of a club. Um, and but the Mah- Cafe Mahogany when I was in New York was getting really well known and they did well but that's closed it's now. It's closed now. Yeah. So you know, Fluent, God bless him, is one of the few people that hosts a really nice poetry event here monthly. And there's things here. I don't live on those on those scenes because I can't make a living there. Sure. But um, I think it's they're trying. You know what I mean? It's not what it could be. It becomes very all those things become very secular and very small and really really quickly. So is, can I just ask though? Yeah. Is when you talked about the fact that people say you write poems, but what's your job? You know, it's part. Of it that in a place like New York, there are a lot of people who don't work a nine to five. So the yeah. idea of going out in the middle of the week right. is like if you work Wednesday through Sunday or, you know, or whatever, right. that's your then, you know, going out on a Tuesday night is not strange. It's part of the thing that people find it strange to go out in the middle of the week yeah. because that's I love not going the out way you in the middle of the week. Yeah. But that's not what you you know what I mean? That's kinda yeah. not part of the lifestyle if you're used to working a certain kind uh, yeah, of nine way. to five kind of thing. I mean, when you work for yourself, you're always working. Yeah. So that's me. It's like I'm never off work. Never. I have to force myself to take a vacation. Sundays feel like Mondays. But I'm just thinking the way I grew up, because you know, my father was a firefighter and my mother yeah. worked in a store. Yeah. And it was kind of decadent. Like the only thing you'd go is like the idea of going out in the middle of the week was right. kind of like an indulgence, like a deck like you'd go to the movies on Friday, right? right? And then you'd go visit your relatives on Sunday. And then Saturday night, you know, you'd go, you know what I mean? You'd go play cards with your friends. But the idea of going out on a Wednesday, if it wasn't for Bible study, like, what's wrong with you? It's, you know what I mean? I'm yeah, just wondering yeah. if part of it is this is a blue collar town and that people you know don't what, see that so as many, being okay to do. I think so many acts, though, uh, do Toronto or Chicago on the yeah. weekends that they come to Detroit on like Wednesdays and Thursdays. Right. So in the city of Detroit, I, I think that there's this kind of a unique kind of geographical situation where Wednesdays are often kind of like a night out in, in Detroit. In, Detroit. Yeah. in New York, I mean, the weekdays are actually the better times where mm-hmm. things are happening. I mean, Blue Note or anybody on any given weekday, Joe's Pub is going to have a Tuesday night or a Friday, Thursday night concert and people pack it out. So they're definitely, yeah, I there's felt a like 70% in New York City, chance there's a Detroit musician there playing oh, too. without question. But yeah. do the other, the, are the artists support each other in coming to their shows and yeah, things like that? Yeah, I mean, that? I really, yeah. and that's what I do miss. Like in New York City, the, the artist community was much bigger there. A lot more poets and and poets that understood um, the connection to black arts movement to holler renaissance to beat poets there's a tradition of the, the history the passing down mm-hmm. and so that was good for me as a writer and poet to be connected to something so it's not like oh it's spoken word oh it's slam poetry like I that's not who I am and that's what the you know if people get bits and pieces on deaf poetry jam there's or, a deeper lineage it's a deeper lineage yeah. and we have one here we have you know we have broadside press Absolutely. we have Naomi Long Magid we have you know Dudley Randall so we have I grew up with that at 16 and 17 I knew who those people were so that helped me but New York really like connected me to Amiri Baraka and Sonia Sanchez and the last poets who were just here in Detroit a couple of days ago and Gil Scott Heron you know Roy Ayers yeah. I, people I got to get to know my legends you know that became my friends and nurtured and, and took care of me in New York City Jessica Caremore is our guest right here on WDET and uh, you know when we look at the event last mm-hmm. night you were on a panel with Sam White who founded mm-hmm. Shakespeare in Detroit Roland Nashif the yeah. filmmaker of Detroit Unleaded, uh, Kate Dodrell, who's a fine artist and also creating uh, uh, an urban farm landscape as her kind of living creative practitioner. 
What, what did what did you learn about Detroit last uh, night that perhaps you didn't know going into it? I loved all those women last night. Like that was a really was beautiful a panel. panel. It was yeah. a very strong panel and all different kind of women, but very sharp in their own way. Um, you know, I just learned that. I don't know. I just enjoyed hearing their stories. And that we, uh, even though we're very different, we all have connections in some kind of way. You know, and I don't, like when Kate coming in, like I don't mind people coming in. You know, she's coming in with love, you know. And I talk about my friend Rachel who's sitting here in the audience, you know, from Peacock Room. Who And I said, Rachel, you know, you know you're a Detroiter, right? And it doesn't, so it's not about if you were born or raised. You don't have to like have be branded with a D on your arm like me. But if you come to Detroit and you embrace the people who live here and have respect for the Detroiters that have built the city, City, then people will love you back, especially black folks. It's in our nature to be loving. It's but there's a right way and a wrong way to, to, to do come it. to Detroit. Oh, there's sure. people here yeah. who definitely don't care about the people who are already here. They're definitely coming in on some, we're about to colonize this. We're about to take over this. We don't care that this was here. And this is, your, this is new Detroit. And when I see things like new Detroit, I'm turned off immediately because i'm like well you know so for people listening right now that are they're kind of maybe following along what's something that you could point to and say like that's new detroit and that's <laughs> old detroit and in the old detroit that's the detroit i know and love like is there uh, is there a symbol that exists right now in the city for you i mean if you just look at what we call midtown that whole extreme neighborhood right that was the cast i grew up that was the cast corridor that was the cast co-op i went to wayne state in the cast corridor so to see I mean, very segregated. We're becoming a very a more segregated city. And I try to tell people, you know, segregation isn't new. So to have all the cool white people downtown and the cool black people downtown, with like me, like I'm in Corktown, I'm in a very gentrified neighborhood, mm -hmm. and have all the black people living on the outskirts in the neighborhoods, like where there's no, you know, Wi-Fi and art installations happening on Joy Road and Evergreen. Um, and th that's not interesting. Do you guys realize that you're self-segregating, you know? And so we know that Midtown, in quotes, and downtown is going to be okay. You know, we've got all kinds of new things popping up every day there's like fresh stuff on Selden this is like work this is like heroin and crack you know what I mean like I grew up watching strung out people on Cass Corridor all the time and and which is but I'm like well I'm like what are they gonna do with these people you know what I mean are we just sweeping them under the rug how are we getting rid of them does it, does it feel like there's nothing for them that there's still no rope oh, for these no. folks does no, it feel no. like there's no ladder for it doesn't. It doesn't feel like they don't get to participate in all. No, the they can't even afford stuff. to participate. High-priced coffee is coming. You know, stuff that I can afford is coming. You know, I'm vegetarian. You know, I ride a bike. Like it works for my way of living. Sure. You know, yeah, yeah. but you know, my family is on the west side. They're like, you're not. You're paying what for your to live where? You know, they own their homes and their mortgage is half of my rent. And so. It's not being, it's set up for like young professionals. It's not set up for families. I've watched in Corktown three people in my, with my next to my townhouses get pregnant and move back to the suburbs. So as soon as you have a baby, you're a cute little couple, you came from Bloomfield, you get pregnant, you leave. And why, why do they leave? Because there's no schools. There's no schools and then you want more space. You, suddenly you want a backyard. Suddenly your little loft space isn't as fresh because nobody around you has kids. You know, I got kids. There's no contingency plan. For couples falling in love and having kids in Detroit yet. And we wear the parks, yeah. you know. And I was, so, someone made a beautiful comment last night about how we have a sandbox for grown-ups at Campus Marshes, but no art in the schools. I mean, that is like that is indicative of the problem in Detroit. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I remember my king was down um, at Campus Marshes playing the sand. They had, like, the, the, the building things. What is that? Jenga? 
Like he was like in an argument with some drunk woman who wanted to play Jenga. I'm like, yo, it's the kid. They're kids. Let the kids play the Jenga. <laughs> but she's like having her like, you know, getting drunk and playing in the sand. Yeah. And I'm like, and so that's some of the issues. I like need more playgrounds. My son's been in, in private schools, you know, in homeschool since he, you know, since he got here in preschool. So that's why I haven't had to deal with finding a school, right. you know. Well, we, I'd love to have you back and dig into education yeah, anytime, it's an seriously. Thing. Yeah, for real. Jessica Care Moore is our guest right here Thank on WBET's Detroit Today. Me. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Thank Jessica. You. Michelle Martin is going to stick around. And coming up next, Detroit techno pioneer Juan Atkins. I'm Travis Wright, and you are listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET.